Darlene, we need to chat about this episode's sponsor. Yes. Now we've decided that me reading ad copy is an area for improvement, I guess. Uh, okay. <laughs> so how about instead I talk about what I've actually accomplished using Helsin? So they have this award-winning set of payment tools like invoicing, virtual terminals, in-person payments. But the feature that I really like is their payment page. And I was able to work with their really excellent customer support team to build the exact type of credit and debit card payment solution that we really needed for some of our clients. So it makes it very easy for clients to pay and a nice user experience as well. And like I always say, paying people for stuff should not be hard. That is right. Your message has been heard. Awesome. So if you want to make (laughs) payments easy for your clients and affordable for you, check out Helsum today to get your first $6,000 worth of processing free. Visit helsum.com slash lawyer life. That's H-E-L-C-I-M dot com slash lawyer life. Welcome to the Lawyer Life Podcast, where we seek to navigate our days with a little less stress and ideally a lot more fulfillment. In this season six, we focus on resetting our lawyer brains. On today's episode, we discuss confrontation. We ask ourselves whether avoiding confrontation can lead to better results. I'm Mike Anderson. And I'm Darlene Tonelli. Hello, Darlene. Hello. How are you? What's going on? What's going on? Oh, Mm -hmm. man. Uh, So I feel like I've had, as much as I ever have, I've had a bit of a Tony Robbins-esque morning. What? A little bit. Do tell. Yeah. Okay. So my son was up super early today. So I was up with him at like 520, which I feel like just in terms of rising early, the lines, I feel like these type of folks, you know, these modern self-help guru, amazing, whatever they are, I feel like they wake up early. So check. I was with the kids for a good stretch in the morning. And then once they were set up for childcare for the day, I exercised. And given the fact that I exercised in my attic and it's super hot right now. I was very warm, which led me then to go to the tiny pool that we have in our backyard, like the upgraded kiddie pool that I mentioned a episodes ago, yes, which for some reason pool. has stayed very cold, like for the whole summer. Like it is a, so it was like I was doing a cold plunge. So woke up early, exercised, <laughs> cold plunge. And then, <laughs> and then oh my God, I was like, you know what? Yeah. And then I was like, you know what? This little deck that I built on the side of the upgraded kiddie pool, I put my towel down lie down on the deck and for about five, 10 minutes, just close my eyes. I don't know if it was a meditation or a rest or whatever it was. I did that. I, I'm like, come on, you know, what more? Had a little shower. Now I have a, a coffee. I feel like I've nailed it, right? You have. If you did that every day, you'd probably be Tony Robbins with a, with a Scandinavian flair as well. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm a little bit shorter than him. That's for sure. And I don't know if I could do all the things he does. But, uh, but certainly this morning... I'm Robbins-esque, we can say. Nice. Well, the one thing a few years ago on this podcast, we talked about Tim Ferriss and some of his uh, speaking of other motivational, I guess, interested in high performance people. And he always was talking about how he puts all this stuff in his coffee in the morning. So he makes what I think he called it a bulletproof coffee or something. Okay. I've been trying that. So I tried that this morning. What stuff? I sound more caffeinated (laughs) and more high energy. It might be from all the stuff in my coffee. There's collagen, there's MCT oh. oil, and there is uh, fiber in it. Oh. And it's actually quite good. 
It's like a breakfast coffee. So anyway, these are the, uh, as always, <laughs> we're experimenting always. <laughs> anyway, and it's the end of summer and we are wrapping up our season. Yes. So it's, uh, there's lots to get motivated and excited about. Yeah. So this is the last episode of season six. Thanks to Helsman Deal Closer, by the way, for, uh, for helping us out with this season. We've tackled a lot of important subjects always with the, the idea of maybe what we think is true in the profession actually isn't true. We've talked about high performance and what sustainable high performance actually is versus what folks think it is. You know, basically high billing hours and always in the office and those sort of things versus actually just kind of making sure that on a day-to-day basis, you're treating yourself well enough that you can still be there in 20 years. You know, we mm-hmm. talked about hacking it. Which, which moves on from this, but it had, you know, it had a different sort of lens, which is, do you want to be a lawyer that is in a place where you're, that you're not aligned, it's, the work is difficult, you're being ill-treated, but you're figuring out a way versus making a pivot and finding a place where there's more alignment and less friction in your practice, yeah? Yes. We talked about overthinking. And whether the it depends approach actually causes waste in our day to day. And and with that, we talked about noise and uh, having, you know, those bad soundtracks in your mind. We talked about acknowledging identity principles and empathy. I thought this was a great episode. It's maybe my favorite. I, I also love the, the episode we just did on fear. But, you know, a great conversation with Sarah Robertson about cognitive dissonance and actually if advocating for things that don't align with your principles or your identity can cause ill effects down the line. And finally, we just had a great episode on untangling fear, which could be probably a season on its own. Obviously, it's been uh, worth writing books about. And, uh, and today, we're going to tackle a subject that I'm so fascinated in, and that's confrontation. And basically, what we're, what we're looking at today is in law school, we're taught to be a zealous advocate TV shows or the lawyer isn't the one sitting behind a desk rationally and calmly plotting. It's someone up yelling and strategizing and making grand gestures, always getting what their their clients want and need by doing that sort of stuff. And we're asking today, what if taking that calm, deliberate, reasoned approach actually gets better results? Right. It's a lot. We've been busy. (laughs) When you really sort of list it out that way. Yeah. Yeah. I'm out of breath. Right. (laughs) Well, there's a lot to question, I think. I think that the industry has come a long way since we started doing this podcast. And that I think there is a lot more, a lot more sort of meta analysis of our profession than there was before, which is great and an extremely positive development, obviously, that we're excited about. But there's every time we open up an episode and a topic, don't you just find that it seems, oh, there's another layer. Let's go look over here. Let's think about this different thing. And the comfort that I'm getting, and hopefully listeners are as well, is just that there are so many ways to thrive and succeed in law. And there are so many skill sets that really boil down into being a great lawyer. And when we, when we look at each of the different facets that sometimes cause, I think there's a lot of talk about mental health, but it's not just mental health. It's strain, stress, uh, overwork in our profession, when we really look at those things and break them out, some of them can be avoided just by developing your own style of of practice that feels right to you. So that's that's what I'm taking away so far. And I think this episode is going to get right into that as well. 
Yeah. And I think these, what we covered in this season, it's not like they're siloed, right? Like you, no. you could even take a confrontation as we're talking about today. And there's a conversation to be had about confrontation and untangling fear or confrontation and acknowledging identity and principles or confrontation and hacking it and confrontation and true high performance. Mm-hmm. Because in the end, what we're, what we're getting at is I think for the whole season, the profession often just says, this is the way it's done right? One single way. That's how you succeed. And that's not true. And as it comes to something like confrontation, I think, you know, what we'll walk through today, you can really make the case that we need to stop this sort of narrative from perpetuating because it leads to these ripple effects that make people worse at their job, make them less happy and potentially cause some significant negative effects downstream. So with that, to start, I have an example of this. I remember that I found surprising early in my career. Do you, do you have an example, Darlene, of like really getting hit in the face with someone whose approach was just like way too confrontational? You go ahead. I probably do. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to hear yours. Yeah. I'll just, uh, for the rest of my life, I will never forget. I was on a file, an entertainment-based file, and on the other side was a US-based lawyer. We, I had offered a deal and just got like a brief email back about this can't be done and blah, blah, blah. So I, I really tried to put together a solution that worked for everybody. Then instantly I got back, we have to have a call about this, you know, by email. I was like, okay. And the week later, the call occurred. And from the get, he was just yelling at me, like literally yelling at me, telling me I don't understand the law. This can never happen. My client would never agree to this. And it was actually like a relatively minor issue. I mean, overall, the deal was pretty much set. Everybody was aligned. And it was just, we were just cleaning up a couple things that needed to be cleaned up, but it wasn't like a deal breaking sort of thing. And listened and listened and listened and listened. And then um, did the whole, okay, can you help me understand what you want to do here because we're both facing a problem here. <laughs> like we can't sign this deal as is. And eventually what became clear to me after the dust settled is that he hadn't read the version I sent. He wasn't aware of the solution being proposed. And in the end, it was actually something he was willing to take back and discuss with his clients. But the... So you're saying the strategy was yell first, understand yeah. later? <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah. And, and I think just hopeful that... Always a good one. I think, I think his, <laughs> his hope was that I would just say, after enough yelling, <laughs> that, mm-hmm. okay, fine, we'll just do it your way, which just couldn't have, have, have flown and I wasn't interested. In. But I think that if I was in a different setting, if I wasn't as just kind of secure in that moment, it would have been tempting to raise my voice as well and get into this ridiculous yelling match, which would not have been good for myself. I don't know if it'd be good for him. And it wouldn't have been good for our clients because we wouldn't have come to a solution nearly as fast, I think. There's a lot in that. And I, as you're speaking, I'm remembering, and maybe just we'll point this out, but I think early in a law career, it's easy to hear someone yelling and be like, oh God, I'm wrong. Like I must be wrong to evoke such a, re- such a reaction, right? Or yeah. they must be right, the flip side. For them to feel so strongly, for these explosive emotions to be on this call, I need to react in some way. And I think that with the benefit of wisdom and experience, 
when I have a sort of a style like that immediately on the other side, I'm able to look at it as a style, right? Like it's designed. It's a, it's as, it's a strategy basically. And I don't assume it has an, any impact on my position until I listen to it for a while and get under it and understand what's going on. I think that's a shift as you get farther along in your career. It was for me, I think. I think that what you just described is holding your center despite what's going on and knowing, like knowing that your position was reasonable. And I think that even for lawyers just coming up, maybe you don't know if your position is reasonable. For example, like you've just done the one thing, you are trying something new and you get that reaction. The listening side of it is important, but I think that then what you take from it and what you do with your own actions is not necessarily a given. So I think that's a really interesting one. What you're describing is basically someone assuming from the jump that you're in a confrontation, like you're in a conflict. The default was conflict. Yeah. And I think that I was lucky in this instance that the issue actually had a very clear answer that I was aware of and that I had seen done before. And so it was kind of easy to to be confused by this, but genuinely kind of awestruck as to how we started there. But in other examples, I mean, it could have definitely um, had more of an effect on me. But I think also then what is interesting in the process is if then I would have been drawn into this, then we're in a confrontation. Mm -hmm. You know, we're not in a discussion to get a contract settled up, right? We're in a battle. And all of a sudden it's okay. Then all of a sudden it's not just about that issue. It's we're not going to lose on this point either. And we need this and blah, blah, blah. You know, you start to uh, strategize in a completely different way maybe sometimes advocating for stuff that's not all that important or isn't the highest priority just because that's where you are. And does that get a better result? I don't think so. Certainly, we're looking at increased timelines, increased costs, and probably a loss of value on both sides. Because what if we're in that battle mode, we're actually not understanding what each side needs and having a really open conversation about, okay, how do we solve the problems for everybody? And just kind of being pigheaded and not trying to give on much at all. Well, the interesting thing too is we, one of the things that I employ a lot is under just trying to listen and embrace the opposing counsel as really an ally. Because to my mind, we're trying to, in our practice anyway, we're generally trying to solve a problem. We're not really, we don't litigate. We have the privilege of saying, listen, we're not, we don't want this to go to litigation, particularly when you're in most in-house counsel roles. You don't really want to bring the client into litigation frivolously, obviously. No one wants that. So we do view it as more of a last resort in our practice. And so I think we are approaching everything with this idea of, okay, we're going to solve this together. And I find that when, when the negotiation starts out with the assumption that we're adversaries, as opposed to the assumption that we're working together on a problem with different sides, it's just a completely different vibe. I mean, you can work with both vibes, but one of them is certainly more, I don't know, I find it pays more dividends because as I've said many times on the podcast, so many deals that I've worked on over the years, the relationship built during the deal is what saved when the problem happened later, not the contract per se, right? It was both. It's Mm -hmm. like, hey, we had this discussion at the time of the contract. That thing has come to pass. 
we all really get along, we can fix this together. Like, what are we going to do, even though we're on opposite sides of the table? To me, that's the most powerful. The thing that I keep thinking about is there's obviously times where you have to be a strong advocate, but that doesn't mean that it has to become abusive. It doesn't have to become unpleasant. It doesn't have to become rude. All these sort of things. You can just say, this is our position. We're not moving from it for this reason. We think it's right for this reason. And so like, we're firm. Like, We can continue to have those sort of conversations. And that's, I think that's part of the whole game. But in the end, if you're if we're kind of the wheels are coming off because we're really leaning into this confrontational model, I think the the folks who suffer most are clients. And Darlene, you found an interesting analog for this in the tech world where, spoiler alert, I guess to your story, but large tech starts to collaborate more and be less confrontational because in the end, it's what the consumer wants and needs. Yeah, I was reading uh, Satya Nadella's book. He's the CEO of Microsoft. And uh, just to take, since I often talk about Apple, (laughs) I will talk about Microsoft. But he did something really interesting. When he came in as CEO, he started trying to build bridges with some of the tech companies that they had previously been suing at Microsoft. And really the reason they did it is because customers were demanding integrations between Microsoft and some of the big things, big other platforms like Salesforce and Box and Apple. And what he did is he just said, we've got to look at how we can increase the size of the pie for everybody as opposed to fighting people out in this really confrontational approach. And I just, it spoke to me because I thought that has been my experience of practicing law in a, in a tech and entertainment capacity. And it was great to see him put his stake in the ground on that because I think there is a lot of talk in our industry and in the legal profession about how the adversarial system contributes to poor mental health in lawyers. And I think that's that's right. But what it goes on to say always is the reason for that is because the adversarial system requires you never show weakness. You never let them see you sweat, like all these sort of tropes that we have embraced, I think, broadly as a profession. And he just kind of took, I think... It's courageous to say, yeah, we're just going to say, here's what we need. We understand what you need. Can we find a way to work together? I don't, that's not weakness. I think in law, we have a different challenge. I think sometimes it can be that you've got to, you don't want to show your clients weak points per se, but that doesn't mean that there isn't another way than just kind of bluster and ego and puffing up and pretending that there's nothing wrong with your client's position. I think that Some of the strongest negotiations I've had are where the other side says, look, here's where we can give. Here's where we can't. What can you do? Okay, (laughs) you know, here's what we do. So again, I I put the asterisk on it that litigation is is different. But in our, um, I think the analog to the tech companies getting together and trying to make things better for their customer is, is what we need to do. Yeah, it's, I think that the hard thing for especially young lawyers or folks on running files for the first time and all that is there's very much the temptation that, again, whether the perfectionist sort of issue that the profession has or all these sort of things, there's that temptation that you have to get everything. Everything has to be perfect for the client. Like the deal can't be signed until everything aligns. And the more interesting, I think, 
and helpful approach is to really determine what is important for your client specifically. Will they mm-hmm. actually require lean on use this term of the deal that you're negotiating? Or is it just something that like you think theoretically is hyper important? Going through having clear conversations with your clients, getting a deep understanding of where they're headed, what their risk tolerance is, what's important, what's not, how they want to treat this relationship. That sort of work allows you to open the book a little bit more like you're talking about Microsoft with the others. Here's what we need. Here's what what's important to us. Let's work together. And I'll never forget, we had a really good um, negotiation. I think it was like, a, it was a January semester where I went to school, uh, University of Ottawa. And I'll just never forget the, the, the main takeaway I had from it was that oftentimes you seem like you're at a standstill, but that's just often based on superficial terms. And if you can actually start to understand where hidden value might be, then you can find innovative ways to solve problems. And the easiest example there is, well, let's say one side is asking in a settlement for $100,000 and the other doesn't have that money in their bank account right now, right? So the answer is no. Mm-hmm. Right. But what if we can move? What if getting $100,000 right now is not important for the one side? And what if the other side knows that next quarter they're going to have a good influx and that they can pay in installments over the next year or two? Maybe we're closer to a deal, but we can't get there and we can't start to have that conversation if we're screaming at each other. And if we start to honestly, whether it's real or not, feel like we hate each other. So these sort of like real big problems, we can't talk, we can't have a coffee together, we can't do these sort of things. We're not going to have these rich solutions. Like it just, they won't come. And in the end, I suppose what will rule the day is who can spend more money, who's willing to stick to that unreasonable position until eventually fatigue leads to a result. These sort of end results that I just don't think are the places that we want to go. And especially in the business world, that stuff starts to catch up with you at a point, I think. Well, and I think that I've been involved in in situations where the lawyer is creating more conflict than there is mm-hmm. as well. And I, I think that that deserves a, a special mention because if the client, if if we are truly just advocates, then when the client is happy with the deal, let's allow that, you know, or advise them properly. Say, I know you're happy with that deal, but there is this risk that maybe you haven't considered. You know, you can certainly, it's not to say you're not advising them on it, but I've definitely been in situations where there was an insistence on something for the purposes of form or consistency with the lawyer's other deals, uh, their precedent, reasons that have not that much to do with the client. Especially from the beginning, we can look at a negotiation as a problem-solving exercise and not as a war or a battle. That means that I, I think that emotions can remain out and we can just continue to do our job, which is look at a problem and figure out how it can best be solved for our client, obviously. And to an extent, as if we are looking to get a deal done, if we are looking at timelines, if we're looking at relationships, we also have to make sure that we consider the other side's needs and where possible, find solutions to accommodate. And in my view, at least that's how the best deals get done. Well, and let's not always assume too, that the best thing for the client is the perfect deal with all the points in their favor. Sometimes it's not. 
because it's cost too much to not just legal costs, but like it costs too much at, at the expense of important relationships yeah. to get that deal. You know, when you're in an adversarial process, the emotions of the client, your, your client and the other side's client are important because you could take an action that could challenge the whole thing by accident. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, especially when we're, I mean, in-house counsel perhaps have a, a different experience, but if, if, you're in private practice and you're advising a client, you have a great benefit of like deal is signed. You're not interacting with it on the day to day. It's you've done your job and it doesn't exist for you largely <laughs> until maybe there's a renewal or a problem comes up or whatever. Like we interact with files and they go away, but our clients, this is their business for a lot of them. This is their life. These are key relationships. These are programs that they care about a lot. And to hold above that reality just like the thing that the lawyer wants is i think insensitive they're dealing with a different set of considerations that being overly confrontational may not serve the client very well is just really the point mm -hmm. so the question for us is really just in for us to raise i think is just in your practice area are you doing it because you think it's the thing that people should be doing whatever the cost is to yourself, or are you doing it because it's the right thing for the client and the matter? And I think that that has to be the question. And then whatever the answer is for people's practice area, that's the answer. Not to gloss over the need for real conflict. And I, I also think we should clarify that confrontation and conflict are different because we're often in conflict situations, right? Mm -hmm. It just doesn't have to become aggressive and confrontational and all that stuff. Yeah. Conflict is fine. And I think being conflict avoidant in law is a really tough thing. And we should probably do a future episode on it because it is baked into it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but assuming that you're in a position of like adversarial aggressive conflict, I think is is where the problems lie and that that's the best way to solve problems. Yeah. Well, look at you in this last episode of the season doing a lovely summary. A summary. Uh, which yep. is... Uh... Normally my stomping ground, but whatever, you know, <laughs> I feel fine. Just this once. Not Just a hit on my ego at all. <laughs> so with that, we will take a break and come back with our goods and grapes. The Lawyer Life Podcast is brought to you by Interalia Law. Interalia lawyers have big firm training, in-house experience, and a wide range of expertise in technology, media, and entertainment. Our advice is business-focused, speedy, and practical. To learn more, visit interalialaw.com. That's I-N-T-E-R-A-L-I-A-Law.com. And we are back with our goods and gripes. Goods are things we want to promote and support, and gripes are things that annoy us. Goods and gripes. Darlene, would you want to go with one or both? I will have one good. So, and the, with an, again, an asterisk, but we went on a cross country road trip this summer. And on that road trip, we listened to audiobooks of Encyclopedia Brown. Remember Encyclopedia Brown? Yeah. Did you read those books as a no, kid? No, I did not. You did not. No. I was obsessed with all of the like Nancy Drew, Hardy Boys, Encyclopedia Brown. I just loved the detective genre. And it was really neat to hear it translate to my six-year-old where he was trying to solve the mysteries. And as an adult listening to Encyclopedia Brown, I was like, oh, okay, these are a lot more solvable than I thought they were. 
the time because he always had the case and then you had to guess the solution. And I felt really good that I was able to solve most of the cases now in the children's book series. So anyway, the other <laughs> the the downside, <laughs> yeah, I'm, uh, I felt really uh, a real confidence boost at my detective skills. Mm -hmm. And I also would say though, that with all those books, the, the way we speak with children and the topics that we talk about with children have changed a lot since those books were written. Like mm. we, some of them aren't uh, particularly politically correct or, you know, they're not, there's words that we don't use anymore. There's like, guns and cowboys and there's a bunch yeah. of stuff in there that my kids have not experienced in more recent books. So there was that, but uh, overall it was a good. How about you? My, I don't know if like, if my good is directly just swimming lessons, but I guess it is. My, my daughter is, uh, just started swimming lessons like two weeks ago. And the, like there was, she did them when they were little and then obviously a huge COVID break and it's outdoors, just her and the instructor and like a family pool sort of thing. But the results have been incredible, like so fast. And, uh, it's just been so satisfying and like great to see, like my daughter is just like, she already loved swimming, but now she's obsessed and, uh, it's just neat that she's loves developing the skill. It's nice to watch. I mean, she's just almost five. So we're starting to get into that space a little bit more, I guess, but I really enjoyed it. It's important life skill. Also. Yeah. Oh yeah. That too. There's just like a practicality to it. That's lovely. Mm -hmm. My gripe is also, I suppose, summer related and I, yeah, I'll go with the one. I'm trying really hard to find like outdoor furniture that's comfortable and looks nice, but isn't like the most expensive piece of furniture I've ever bought. And I just, <laughs> I'm blown away. And I understand mm -hmm. it's like, you know, you're basically buying a couch that can be outside and withstand rain and weather and blah, blah, blah. But it, I, I can't, it's too expensive, but I want it. <laughs> but I want it. And so yeah. I'm waiting to see if like when the season ends where there'll be sales or something, but it's like, I'm just yeah. blown away by how expensive outdoor furniture is, I guess. I've never interacted with this problem before. If anybody knows of like a great a place that has good stuff that isn't, doesn't cost an arm and a leg, I'm, I'm all ears. But my gripe is that, I guess. It's a bad gripe. I guess gripes are supposed to be bad though. My gripe is summer related wasps and outdoors. I don't know. What's with these things? You can't eat outside for like the whole second half of August in Toronto. I don't know if that's, yeah. Uh, I was just out West and the same was true out there. And I don't remember that from when I lived there as a child or uh, I guess till I was, went to law school, but anyway, not just a child, but what is with that? And every like outdoor, now we're all eating. Do you know what happens if I understand correctly? Cause I researched this last year. Cause I was in the same place as you. Around this time, the, I think it's the male wasps that not all of them, but some of them live in communities and they basically get kicked out. And okay. So I think this is right. And then they're, they're out on their own. So they're, and they know they're going to die inherently. Like they know that time is up. So they just act crazy because hmm. they just like, are trying to get food. They're on their own. They know it's going to end soon. And so they're, that's, I think that that was the thing. Can I also tell a funny thing that happened to me in law school? at our orientation barbecue that's yes. wasp related. <laughs> I think it's a funny joke. You tell me. It's not even a joke. It happened, but it feels like it's a joke. Our dean like gave a speech at the orientation week barbecue. It's like my first week of law school. And he was like, welcome everybody. And then he gets a new thing where he rightfully is like, just so everybody knows, 
He's like, we have halal meat here. We have kosher meat here. And don't worry, we dealt with the wasp problem. And so <laughs> in, the, in the context of halal meat and kosher meat and then saying wasp. It <laughs> You're like, <laughs> in the like, meat? No, it just felt like he was like white oh. Anglo-Saxon Protestants. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? like we see. dealt with the wasp problem. Okay. Oh, I thought it was so funny. <laughs> oh my God. Did other people get it or? Yeah, I think other people oh, yeah. thought it was funny. Oh my yeah. gosh. And yeah. he definitely did not mean that. Uh, no, he did not. For sure. He didn't. <laughs> to be clear. But it was just previous funny. guest on our podcast. No, it was Dean. a pre Dean previous. It was a different Dean. Okay. Yeah. Got you. Yeah. I think it's, you know, it's a minor gripe and it's just nice to be outside. And normally I don't have any summer related gripes because I mean, come on, we need all the summer we can get around here. And I don't mind the heat even, oh, but I would like to have a few more indoor activities to do with the kids during those really hot days right now. Yeah. So anyway, that's, that'll come eventually. Yeah, well, wrapping up season six, very much appreciated Deal Closer and Helsum coming on board to help us bring this to uh, everybody. And uh, I guess we'll think up our next season. And if anyone has feedback, please get to us on Instagram to tell us. That would yeah. be the best way. Yeah. Um, so or thank LinkedIn. you. Thank you to them for sure. And we will be, I mean, we're cooking up some stuff. And so <laughs> what we're going to take a, a couple months to, I guess, let that uh, cook. To cook. <laughs> And we will be back. Things might look different or feel different, but it's still going to be us doing this sort of thing. But we're, we might kick it, it, up it up Bam. Yeah. The, kick it up a notch. Emerald Legrassi. Of course. Bam. Yeah. Of course. Might be a bit of that. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Stay tuned. Yeah. And until then, we will talk <laughs> soon. Talk soon. That's it for this week's episode of LLP. Thanks to Inter Alia Law for presenting the podcast and to Nick Fowler for composing and performing our music. See our show notes for his website. Don't forget, we love feedback. Please comment in the review section or subscribe or like. We'd appreciate it greatly. That's it. Talk soon. <laughs>